this week on Dig Me Out. I'm going to say, there's a lot that we don't know. Apparently, yeah. Yeah. Tim and Jay review 30-something by Carter the Unstoppable Sex Machine. Hello and welcome to another episode of Dig Me Out. I'm your host, Tim Minichi, and joining me for episode 162 of season four, Mr. Jason Ziak J. We are finally getting into some of our listener reviews, our requested reviews for the fourth season, the 2014 season. Requested, requested review. review. We haven't had, uh, we didn't have any at the, at the top of the season, but getting into them now. And these, I, I think you'll agree with me, these always provide some of the biggest shocks and surprises throughout the year, both good and bad. Yeah, we all, I think the majority of them are albums that neither of us have ever even heard of, so mm-hmm. they're always fun. Occasionally you get somebody who suggests, you know, like uh, last year we had a, a suggestion for Screaming Trees. Obviously we're familiar with Screaming Trees, but then we got a suggestion for like Spider Bait. We had no idea. Yeah, there's Spider been a couple, a couple we're familiar with, but I feel like the... I haven't, done, I haven't run the numbers, but I feel like the vast majority are albums that neither of us have ever heard of. Yeah, it's probably two or three to one, I'm guessing, you know, in terms of what we don't know versus what we know. There's, a, I'm going to say, there's a lot that we don't know. We're Apparently, yeah. Yeah, there. I mean, we did, we've discovered that um, not only were there a lot of albums that we did know in the 90s and we were pretty well versed, we were probably only hitting on about 10%. About 90% of the music slipped by our radar. And we're still trying to play catch up. We're, we're up to about 12% now in terms of uh, knowing everything that was ever released between uh, January 1st, 1990 and uh, December 31st, 1999. <laughs> so uh, including in terms of, uh, you know, request reviews. With This one comes from a frequent commenter and previous suggester, Matthew Slightholm. Um, he's bringing to us a band that I had not heard of. And they're called Carter the Unstoppable Sex Machine. Jay, familiar with them? <laughs> uh, uh, no, absolutely not. Well, you know, it's weird because I'm, and I'm going to tell you why in a little bit. We should know this band. At least uh, we should have heard of them because other people have. And I'm going to get into it now in the history of the band. Hmm. History of the band. So Carter the Unstoppable Sex Machine, which is often shortened to just Carter USM, uh, were from London, England, uh, formed by singer Jim, Jim Bob Morrison, and guitarist Les Fruitbat Carter. So Jim Bob and Fruitbat. <laughs> okay. So their debut single called A Sheltered Life was released in uh, 1988 on Big Cat Records. Their second single, released the following year, 1989, was called Sheriff Fat Man and actually got some recognition. Um, the song was written about a South London slumlord and got uh, some uh, write-ups in the, in the magazines and got played on the radio in the UK. And that was followed up by the album 101 Damnations, uh, which was a critical account of life uh, south of the River Thames. Is that T H A M E S? Is that how you say mm-hmm. it, River Thames? Okay. Sure. So in 1991, they so- signed to Rough Trade Records and they released the album, which we're going to review 30 something. Um, thanks to a very rigorous touring schedule, the album entered the UK charts at number eight. Rough Trade Records uh, fell apart 
and the band left uh, the, the label and signed with Chrysalis Records. And in 1992, the Love Album was released and it went number one in the UK. So this is a band that is not obscure for our UK listeners. They what, had a number, number eight one? record and then a number one record. Their uh, next record in 1993, Post Historic Monsters, reached number five in the UK. So that's three top ten records in a row in the UK for Carter USM. In 1994, and that's as a two-piece. So in 1994, uh, their friend Wes, who was the former, uh, who was from a support band that they, had, they play, played with called Risque, um, joined the bands on drums. And in uh, 1995, they released as a three-piece the band Worry Bomb. In 1996, they left Chrysalis and joined Cooking Vinyl. Chrysalis. Chrysalis. Thank you. Uh, with uh, They had a keyboard player added, and uh, Wes, the drummer's uh, brother Steve, was joined on guitar, and Ben Lambert joined on keyboards, and they became a six-piece band. Um, they released a mini-album called A World Without Dave, uh, in 1998, with the 10-year anniversary of the band, they decided to break up and release one final studio album called I Blame the Government. In 2007, they started to reunite for a variety of uh, shows, usually playing you know, festivals or benefits or those sorts of things. And they've continued to do that uh, to the current day, uh, playing uh, a variety of uh, different shows uh, throughout the continent. So that is the history of Carter, the Unstoppable Sex Machine, or Carter USM. If you would like to, if you'd like to suggest an album for us to review, head on over to our request to review page at digmeoutpodcast.com. So, uh, unfortunately, we did not receive any Facebook feedback on this record. This was a, you know, for a lot of American listeners, uh, this was an obscure one. Not surprised that we didn't get the normal uh, comments. Although I was surprised that some of our our UK listeners did not chime in with opinions on this one. Um, I'd like to have heard some opinions on Carter USM. So uh, previously to this episode, we've been doing a track-by-track reviews. We're just going to shake it up a little bit. We're going to go with a uh, what you like, what you don't like. That's what, we're, that's what I'm calling this. Uh, so, Jay, Carter USM, third or something, what you like? Oh, geez. i got to get used to this format. It's Fast and this? Furious. What you like? Oh my god! It's like an ESPN show now. Yeah, this you're gonna is cut like, me off halfway and yell at me. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna start yelling halfway through what you're answering. Oh, I don't know if I'm up for that. Oh, wait, 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 wait. Jay, come on now! This guy talk faster than that. Ooh. Well, uh, okay, I'll point out a couple songs I like. I'll start okay. there. I like uh, a Prince in a Pauper's Grave. I think it. The Waltz. Yeah, it kind of has this weird circus music intro accordion thing. It's got the waltzy kind of bounce to it, but it's very kind of a dark narrative. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like a tragic pub song, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, and then it kind of builds up into this big swinging, you know, ending with, with, with the strings. It does a cool thing of like speeding up at the end and slowing back down. Pray for that psalm and its souls. By the American graffiti From Elephant and Castle And Ford Capri Orange And Volkswagen Yellow and Gold 
drinks, Johnny drinks, Johnny Walker runs up a bill that the Pope couldn't pay. He's drinking to the memory of a prince in a pauper's grave. So I think that is a good, I don't know, that felt like a good mix of what this band is about to me. Um, the song after it, Chopper Paradise, again, um, was kind of in the same, it was a little bit different in that it has, it, you know, it's obviously the same elements. This whole record is basically the same core elements. Um, this song, though, was, I liked it better than a lot of the others is that it relied a lot on the the drums and the synth, the, like the bass synth, um, instead of the guitar. Mm-hmm. And I felt like that was a better place for them to be sort of building material up off of. Um, you know, this this album is prime. It's it's almost exclusively one guitar and a keyboard. It seems you know, and a drum machine. So everything else is other than the guitar and the vocal is done on. To me, it sounds like one keyboard and one drum machine. Right. Well, um, to give you a little bit of insight, this band, like I said, it was only a two-piece. Was this, One guy was a singer, one guy was a guitar player. And when they would play live, everything else was recorded. And yeah. they would basically put on a big light show and like you know video show yep. um, to back them up. Yep. And I, I think Shopper Paradise, because it, it it's more based in the keyboard sounds, I think that's actually better a better place for them and it kind of reminded me of like um i don't know it had like a new order vibe to it underneath it but then over top it sort of had the guitar stuff which was a cool kind of you know contrast to that i was gonna um, say pulp it kind of reminded me of yeah, yeah different class era pulp and that i could too. see pulp i know pulp existed at this time but i could kind of see them you know maybe drawing some influence from this band in some yeah, certain, it, certain ways yeah it just i guess the 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 stuff I guess I'll transition and what I don't like, I don't like when some of the other material is more, I guess, guitar driven, but then there's still all the other keyboard and drums, drum machine stuff, like augmenting that. And it's just a, it's just a shift of like point of view on how to build songs, I guess. And mm-hmm. if you're going to be committed to this type of um, instrumentation, then I think you're better off to build your, to build the music out of it as opposed to try to build out of a guitar riff and try to build rock songs that have that you're basically trying to fake a band you know does that make sense it's like it's yeah. not it sounds more authentic if you build the song up from from the keyboard stuff if it's going to be there as opposed to use it as ornamentation or you know to fake a band so those were two songs that stood out to me as as being songs that that i liked and in a sound for this band that I liked and a lot of the other stuff I think there are some really compelling melodies and songs here I just think that it's so hard to get past so hard to get past the the sound of it that it's difficult to appreciate you know I'd love to hear like if you took if these were treated as demos and you actually you know got a band together and tried to play these you know I'm more real instruments whether it's if you're going to have horns fine get real horns if you're going to have some kind of string instrument get a real string instrument you know it'd be interesting to me yeah to see what that would sound like if they did it that way but what'd you think and, and that's something that i'm gonna you know bring up and what i didn't like but what i did like was I, I like that this is a band that on the surface is very sort of you could write them off as being sugary pop 
and sort of uh especially on a song like anytime any place anywhere which has this like pet shop boys kind of feel to it mm-hmm. but then you get to a song like blood sport for all which has this like gary glitter you know rock and roll part two meets the sex pistols kind of vibe going on and has very political lyrics. I don't know if you got yeah. into them. Oh, yeah. But it's basically yeah. about racial profiling in the military. Um, and there's this one line that says, change your name to Smith or Jones about, you know, basically immigrants and people with weird last names not being, you know, uh, accepted within the military ranks and the, and and building this, like, military machine. Um, you know, this is, this is the early 90s. This is still when, you know, there was violence in the UK between bombings in London uh, and the Irish Republican army and those sorts of things. And, um, you know, terrorism or whatever side you're on, I guess, you know, I guess calling it terrorism. Um, th- this, this band is a bit more deeper than they sort of, I guess on the surface sound like. So I, I really appreciated that. Uh, Blood sport for all for me was, which I think is also one of the better singles um, on the record. Uh, I, I think really works well uh, for them. Like I mentioned, anytime, any place, anywhere. I really like. Um, I'm trying to think of some of the other ones that I, when they when you get into like, I'll sort of transition slowly into what I don't like. When you get a song like Billy's Smart Circus, which sounds like a <laughs> sounds like what <laughs> um, what uh, when. Trey Parker and Matt Stone were coming up for the idea of the montage song for um, the South Park movie. Dude, that's exactly or, that well, was, or Team America. I mean, yeah, yeah that's yeah. that is to me is like that's the template. Yeah, yeah. I wrote for that uh, song. I wrote, "Wow, sounds like a montage song from a from a Nintendo game." Yes, yes, exactly. Like you got powered up, and now yeah. and now you've got thirty seconds of like invincibility, and you can do anything. Mm-hmm. That's what that song that's what that song sounds like. But I agree with you. Like a prince in pauper's grave has this like waltzy sort of you know beginning, and he's singing about drinking Johnny Walker and Johnny drinks, Johnny drinks, Johnny drinks, Johnny Walker. But then it like a, it kind of explodes into this big sounding you know um, orchestral movement, and it's um, it's pretty dramatic, and it's not it's like you said. If this had been recorded with like a full band, I think this would be an amazing record. Yeah. But it sounds so chintzy and so um, thin. Um, the drums, especially, just betray so much of the songwriting. Which well, there's a there's a drum fill. There's like a fake snare fill in that song, and you just 
you get into the mood of the song it's kind of you know a little bit eerie with this waltz and you know it's it, it's a break in the album and then that snare roll happens and you're like oh <laughs> you know what i mean just it snaps you out of the the vibe that you're getting into because it's just so ridiculous sounding I found I found the sequencing of this record um, from a lyrical standpoint really interesting. Like it starts off and it's like very it feels very personal. Like it feels very much like introspective, and um, then all of a sudden it takes a shift to somewhere in the middle where it starts to get very political mm-hmm. and like looking out, and then towards the end it turns into like Broadway. You know what I mean? Like lyrically, it's like over, there's there's a ba- there's a couple ballads, and it's like yeah, overly melodramatic, and you're just like, well, wait a minute. Like it's funny because it's the same instrumentation, and it obviously sounds like the same band, but just the journey of like as I get into this, I'm thinking, especially with the album called Thirty Something, I'm thinking the album's going to be like, you know, really introspective about you know. I like the first couple songs set up, you know what I mean? Like coming to terms with, you know, you're leaving your twenties and you're still haven't found yourself and you're trying to figure out, you know, rock and roll, whatever, being a musician, whatever. And then it kind of like takes all these other turns that are odd and unexpected for sure. Yeah. That's an interesting point um, in terms of the, I guess, lyrical and musical journey mm-hmm. that you go on. Um, and you're like, you mentioned about the Broadway. Yeah, like Falling on a Bruise is a very weird turn. You know, his vocal is so distinctively, you know, British. But, like, the music to that song could have been, like, it, you you put it in, like, a um, an early 80s, like, Animotion or, you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. like one of those bands, like... Uh, I think of that other band, Human League or something like that. Like it's just mm-hmm. so over the top with the strings and the melodrama. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a weird turn, and then the final come down. You know, it's again, continuation of that feel. Yeah, when you compare that to like Bloodsport for All and Chopper's Paradise and those other songs, it's just it's a weird. Um, twist and turn that the album makes at the end and I really wasn't ready to go there with them especially because you know after Bloodsport for All you get sealed with a Glasgow Kiss which again has this like up-tempo punk sort of feel almost like um, sounds like um, um, like punk square dancing music Like it's got like a weird country kind of thing underneath it, but it's so fucking fast. Yeah, that bum, but the bum, but the bum, but the bum. Yeah. <laughs> I, I said I that my note on that with another N- Nintendo reference was that I can imagine myself playing Mock Rider to that on Nintendo because <laughs> the tempo is so insane. I could just see like totally like zoning out and just staring, you know, at the road ahead and driving, having your little character dodging in and out of of uh, traffic. What did you think of the opening uh, track, Surfing USM?
I, I like the um I actually like the samples that song the next song I kind of dug like where how that was setting the album up um it seemed to be like gonna set a narrative for the rest of the record I was a little I wasn't thrilled with like you know he's doing like a synth arpeggio kind of thing um where it's like doing the and he's trying to play the guitar along with that which is kind of like like he's playing a riff that goes with that rhythm it's just kind of I don't know it just seems a little bit silly and then I mean it's like uh I guess it's a oh it's a like over the top album starter like mm. almost like a theme like it feels like a theme song in a way right so I guess from that aspect it's okay but um it wasn't it wasn't one of my favorites I think it actually sets up the album in a weird way because I was expecting this to be like more in like EMF territory I guess you know with you know EMF song unbelievable has yeah. that uh has that Andrew Dice Clay sample in the same way that this song uses some samples like uh um that wham bam thank you man what is that from uh David Bowie yeah I, I was expecting the album to have sort of that like feel to it and it really doesn't I mean they just they do you know use a lot of drum loops and stuff like that and I'm sure that there are samples but not as like blatantly pop culture reference samples as as the ones that are in this song it, it kind of reminded me of um, this song and the next song. When I got into the record the first time, I was thinking to myself, wow, was this like the early 90s version of Andrew WK? You know what I mean? <laughs> like over the top, party rock, you know, drum machine with big guitars. And in a way, it kind of is at times, but then it goes in a whole other, you know, bunch of different places that you didn't go with, with the Broadway stuff and the political stuff. and right. So, but you know, the first first couple of songs, I definitely had that had that thought in my head. Yeah, Andrew WK is, is always about the party, and that's it. Right. There's no there's no room for political commentary in an Andrew WK song. So, Jay, let's talk about you know we we talked about what we liked, we talked about what we didn't like. Let's talk about the record as a whole. You mentioned about the the sequencing. I, I'm going to agree with you there. I think that you know maybe if they had sequenced it a little bit different. Um, they make it so blatant at the end of the record with falling on a bruise and the final come down that like, okay, here are two slow, serious songs. You know, maybe if they had interspersed them throughout the record, it wouldn't feel like such a come down, so to speak at the end of the record, but they do. And it just feels like the record just kind of, kind of grinds to a halt from those two songs. Um, I did think that, you know, like you, that opening track, it's like a, it's like a good intro track. I would have liked it maybe to be a little bit shorter as an intro track. I don't think it necessarily needed to be, you know, th- over three minutes. Could have been a minute and a half, two minutes, something like that. I, I would have gotten the yeah. idea. Yeah. Um, you know, overall, uh, in terms of what songs worked and what songs didn't work for me, I'd have to say a- after that first track, the the middle portion of the record from like two to nine, or really like three to nine, you know, that that kind of all works for me. Um, there's not, uh, there's nothing in there that's like offensively bad where I'm like, well, I don't want to, I, I can't listen to this. They all have, you know, sort of unique or not unique necessarily, but they have their own takes on different sounds. Like I mentioned, like one kind of sounds like a pet shop boy song and one kind of sounds like Gary glitter or the sex pistols. And, you know, I think part of that is just out of, you know, the sex pistols having such a British, you know, distinctive British vocal 
And this, and, um, was it Jim Bob? Is his name? I mean, you know, it's not like uh, when I listen to, like, say, uh, Phil Collins singing Genesis songs, his Britishness isn't always there. You know, it kind of, like, goes away when he sings, even though that's how he talks. Uh, I, This guy, you can hear his Britishness in his, in his singing, if that makes uh, any sense. You know, that's where I think that, like, that snarl and sort of uh, a vocal attack reminds me of, like, John Lydon at times. Yeah, uh, but, I got a little bit of a, you know, the, the Clash out of some of that. I mm-hmm. think they even sampled the Clash on yep. the second song. There was some of that in there, too. And I enjoy that. That's probably one of my favorite parts of the record is the vocal. I, I don't, you know, I like that style quite a bit. What am I supposed to say overall? Yeah, well, what do you think overall? Um, and then when we get done with that, we'll, we'll actually give our ratings. You know, wh- overall, you know, you mentioned about sequencing. Um, what's working for you and what's working what not working for you overall? Well, I mean, overall, the yeah, the sequencing is a little bit strange. Um and uh, I do like some of the songwriting here. I do like some of the, I like the vocals, I like the, the melodies, I like the style, I like the delivery. It really comes down to just the choice of instrumentation for this band. You know, it's just some people will be able to see past it, I suppose. And a lot of people like myself won't. Um, it's a tough listen to, you know, it's, it gets very spastic and fast and, there's a lot going on in some of these songs so mm-hmm. you know you've got a lot of keyboard symbols splashing in your head if you're listening to these on you know earbuds or headphones it's a lot of going on um so it's not you know the most pleasant listen all the way through um it's it's definitely i, I guess it'd be i, I found myself all, uh, the whole time listen, every time i listen to this record thinking how can I, I, I how can I, is there a way that I can kind of get my head back to 1991 and be able to kind of appreciate it get any perspective on what it was like to hear this then you know what I mean it's just such a right it does not hold up well to me yeah, at all it's probably the production the- is is definitely a knock because it sounds thin and there are records that came out at the same time with humans playing the instruments and they don't sound thin. They yeah, sound I mean, it's, full. It's almost comical. It's almost like uh, now when I hear it, it's almost, it's so ridiculous. It's borderline ironic, you know? Right. <laughs> Some of it. So, um, but I just, I couldn't help but think, boy, you know, in 1991, what would, what would it have been like to hear this? And would I have been blown away or would I have thought it was as cheesy at times as I think it is now? Um, well, were you really, blown away by EMF at the time or Jesus Jones? <laughs> no, but I don't think this is very different than that. Like, I think there's way more like, to your point, there's way more attitude here. You know what I mean? Like there's way more. And I don't consider either of those two bands of like really get in your face or being overtly political or, I mean, there's some points on here where you even, you know, borderline screams. Right. I don't think of either of those two bands as doing that. They're sort of like middle of the road, alternative dance Brit pop, you know, stuff. Now, maybe I'm wrong. There was something in there that I missed, but I think of them as, you know, sort of in that vanilla area. And this is certainly not, I think it's a notch above vanilla for sure. I think there's a lot more going on here in terms of uh, attitude and message. So give me your rating, Jay. 
on our patent pending scale of worthy album, better EP, or decent single, what do you think it is? I'm somewhere between a single and an EP. Uh, I'll say an EP. I think there's, you know, if I pulled out the two songs I mentioned earlier that I liked, maybe Pepper In, Bloodsport for All, uh, Second to Last Will and Testament, I'd have an EP that, you know, I think I could, if it was that short, look past the, you know, the sound quality and the instrumentation and the overall production approach and just have fun with it. But because it's 11 songs and a lot of these songs are long. I mean, we're talking well over four minutes. So Mm -hmm. at that point, that stuff is kind of hard to forgive. Yeah, I'm at an EP. Uh, I think that the middle of the record is the best part of the record. I, I, you know, there's there's a few songs which are fine but not special. Um, I'd probably be at about five tracks with, you know, maybe anytime, any place, anywhere. A Prince and Pauper's Grave, Shopper's Paradise, uh, Bloodsport for All, and probably Say it with Flowers. Although I could probably swap that with. Billy Smart Circus and be fine, but you're right. There, it is. Does get a bit long from three through seven. Every song is at least four minutes, and some of them are approaching five minutes. So they definitely didn't try to write, you know, short three minute long singles on every track. Um, but that's okay. You know that not everyone has to be a, a three and a half minute long pop single. I, you know the the two knocks, the two big knocks for me in terms of the rest of the record are just the production and um, just not really playing within their comfort zone, you know, especially those last two records or last two songs, excuse me. Um, Just not, they just don't sound natural to the band. And I I would like to hear them doing, you know, more stuff that's in the vein of a blood sport or even a, I'd be, I'd be interested to hear, you know, one of the, I heard, or, or I read that one of the big influences on this band is Queen, um, hmm. which from a theatrical standpoint, I think mm-hmm. that makes sense. Yeah. But I don't hear the the capability and the songwriting. Mm-hmm. Now, maybe when they actually expanded to a six piece band, they sort of they maybe they tackled that by, you know, getting rid of the drum machine and actually adding a live drummer. Yeah. I mean, I hate to be anti-technology guy, but jeez. <laughs> because i'm not obviously i work in it i love technology but when it comes to music it's like queen was who they were because they took what this band was trying to do and they actually learned how to play their instruments and how to sing masterfully right so you had like the idea behind a band like this with all of the you know range of um messages that this band is trying to deal with and themes and types of music but they actually could interpret all that through their hands and their voice you know, with like yeah. um, a, an astounding amount of skill. They didn't just like hit a note on an arpeggiator on a keyboard and let it play. You know, there's just, uh, anyway, sorry. I hate when I hear bands that are, that, that, that are influenced by Queen that don't kind of want to commit, can't commit or are unable to fully understand what that band was about. Right. Stepping off my soapbox. Yeah. Please step down, Jay. We need to thank Matthew Slightholm for suggesting this record. This is an interesting one. It's one of those bands we didn't even know existed, and now it has entered into our consciousness, and we will be living with it for the rest of our lives or until dementia uh, sets in. If you would like to suggest an album for us to review, head on over to our request review page 
And uh, you can check out what we've reviewed already and what uh, we are going to be reviewing in terms of our uh, request to reviews. Gives you a little preview of what's down the road for us. And of course, if you like what you heard, uh, head on over to iTunes and leave us some positive feedback. We would greatly appreciate it. And uh, that's a wrap for Carter, the Unstoppable Sex Machine. Got to mention, that's probably one of the best or worst names for a band, depending on your perspective, that we've ever uh, had on the show. Good on you, Carter, the Unstoppable Sex Machine. I feel like there could be a uh, a very easy uh, a, uh, like a porno parody made of this band's name. Isn't it humbling, though, that like I think going into this concept for a podcast i think we're both like yeah you know we know no we know about the 90s to do this and then a band like this comes up and we're like neither of us have never heard of them and they have a number one record in the uk yeah we're like okay yeah we don't really know we're, like we're just right when this. we were getting into music too like yeah. oh yeah i was totally paying attention to what was going on <laughs> yeah no idea this band existed so yeah. so thank you matthew We'll be uh, we'll be hearing from Matthew again soon. I hear I, I I've uh, heard through the grapevine, uh, the grapevine being my uh, email. Look out for that. So, uh, for Jason, I am Tim, and we are done. That is it. Carter the sex the Carter the Unstoppable Sex Machine has been reviewed, and we will be back next week with another episode. Dig me out. Join the conversation about this episode at digmeoutpodcast.com, where you can find links to our Facebook page and Twitter feed, as well as links to our request a review and merchandise pages.